0: Anyway, it's great to be here tonight and to uh, have a Q&A with you all. It's always good to get questions uh, that we've had. We've had a lot. Several questions came in, and so we want to answer some of those. We want to begin, like, like Chris said, with just maybe going through one of those, and then we'll open it up and then go back and forth like that so that we have some questions that are here on your hearts answered, as well as those who have been written in as much as we can, and we'll go... For as long as we can, until Neil feels like he wants to cry. And uh, five seconds ago, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> anyway, um, and uh, and we'll go like that. Of course, we've had these before, so you know the, kind of the trick. So one one of you guys just pray for us, and then um, maybe Russ, you can open up with one of the uh, one of the questions in a minute. Why don't you pray for us, Neil?
1: Father, we thank you for this uh, this, uh, this evening. <clears throat> we thank you for your uh, your all sufficient Word that gives us um, all that we need for life and godliness. We thank you for your uh, your goodness in, in providing that, Lord. And, and uh, we know that uh, some of the some of the truths, Lord, we have to we have to dig out, and we have to spend time, and we have to be uh, students of your Word and. Thank you for that as well. Thank you for your spirit that works within us to to help us to understand truth. And we pray that uh, this evening that uh, you would be glorified. We pray that uh, your word would be uh, uh, highlighted as again that which is all sufficient for life and godliness. Mm. Thank you for uh, thank you for this evening. Uh, thank you that uh, you have communicated to us uh, your thinking on. Matters of life, For in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. All,
2: right. All right, so we got a bunch of questions. I'm just going to go with the first one that I had on my list, which is uh, atonement. atonement. Limited or unlimited? So... Um, I believe that uh, we have to define a word that's just atone or atonement first before we can even go anywhere, and it's the idea of canceling out or appeasing, canceling sin or appeasing a debt uh, to cleanse and I'll forgive, those kinds of words. Uh, these are not foreign. It's not a foreign question to our church. I think we've, we've kind of talked about these over the months, but it, oh, it's always good to go over it again. But uh, So is it limited or unlimited? That's a debate that's been going on in the church since the church began, probably, Um, one view says that uh, all sin has been atoned for. It's just a matter of uh, believing. And another says that, no, uh, not all sins are atoned for, only the elect. And so uh, my view, I think, based on Scripture, is it is it is unlimited for the one who believes the gospel. All sin is covered. All sin is atoned for. As long as the gospel is the gospel of Christ, by faith alone, Christ alone, and the Word of God alone, and all the other solas that came out of the Reformation. Person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation's sins are paid for in total. Um, But on the other hand, uh, it is it is limited. It is limited, so it's limited to the believer, as I said. So it's unlimited and it is limited. Uh, For example, John three sixteen, very common verse to all of us says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and that whoever believes in him should not perish. So there's a qualifier. It's whoever believes has his sins atoned for. There's no belief, there's no atonement. He goes on through there in verse 17. Uh, He says that he did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but it would be saved through him. So some people will take that and say, see, He didn't come to condemn the world. He paid for the sins of the world. But again, you have to remember is that we are talking about the one who believes. Very critical. Those who believe and uh, are not condemned. And John 3, he also says that um, those who do not believe are condemned. So their sins are not atoned for. People who are condemned. Another common verse that people will use is to believe in a universal atonement or unlimited he, will it will be in Second Peter 3, uh, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, again, uh, if we're going to interpret Scripture properly, it's the context of who is he talking to. He's talking to believers. He's talking to the church. It's not a verse of salvation promised to every soul, on the face of the earth without exception. He's talking to a church body to give assurance of salvation, That not wishing that any of you, not any of the believers there would perish, is what he's getting at, not people universally. Another verse that people will use to uh, talk about universal atonement, unlimited atonement, is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, four through six, where Paul writes that who, he desires all people to be saved. He desires all people to be saved and comes to the knowledge of the truth. Well, if that were the case, uh, then all people would be saved. If God is willing that all be saved, they all would be saved. Again, he's talking there in the context. It in the, gives in the a sense of all kinds of people, Jew, Gentile, every tribe, every nation, every, every person, every kind of person uh, is, God is willing to save. And then John 10 will be my last verse here. He says, I am the good shepherd, John speaking, uh, Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And there are other, there's all kinds of verses, but he lays down his life for the sheep. Not every person, just the sheep. So God saves um, without distinction. He does not save without exception. And so the idea there is that he doesn't distinguish between kinds of people. But there are exceptions, only believers are saved. So we wanna go with a, a raise of hand question, or unless you wanna yeah. ask a question about that answer, I'd be glad to, to help out, clarify, or unless there's a, a, a question uh, that is not on our list and has been presented,
0: go ahead. Somebody in the back, wait for the microphone so we can get it recorded. Okay, thank you. You're live. All right, so uh, I know that the word says for us not to
2: rely on anything except for the word of God, um, and that also includes things like substances uh, such as alcohol and all that. Um, what about medication for anxiety and depression? Uh, what would I'm not 100% on what the word would say about anything to do with um, medication in order to um, help with that. Um, okay. So I guess that's my question. So your yeah, question is, is, is it proper to take prescription medication for?
3: For, uh, for anxiety, anxiety and depression. And
2: other things like that. Yeah. Good question. That's a great question. It's a hot topic today, uh, especially in biblical counseling and other, thing, other areas like that. Um, yeah, my view is this: that uh, before, if someone was to come to me and ask me that, well, say you come to me and ask me that question, I would definitely do some deeper probing for what's going on
3: mm-hmm. in your
2: thinking, what's going on in your mind, what are you, what are you anxious about, what is causing you to get anxious and nervous and worried and you know fearful, all those kinds of words, uh, to, to kind of probe a little bit deeper, okay. because I think uh, a classic text is found in Philippians four that Paul wants us to think on proper things, not to be worried, not to be anxious, trust in God. Uh, and I think the scriptures give us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and certainly anxiety is one of those things. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of scriptures that deal with anxiety and worry and problems. You go to the Proverbs, you go to the Psalms, especially the Psalms, where the Psalmists oftentimes open their psalms with worry and dismay and anger and all kinds of other emotional issues that we all face. But oftentimes when you read through the psalm, if you keep going, you'll see by the end of it, the psalmist is, is at peace. He's, he, and why? Because he's turning to God. He's trusting God. He's, he's crying out to God, and God is delivering. Mm-hmm. And so um, I would certainly go there first. Let's look at the scriptures. Let's see what your problem is. Why are you thinking these things? If you look at the news, you, yeah, it'll make you anxious. Okay. I mean, I love the news, but you know what? It goes in one ear and out the other, and it's gone, and that's the end of it. Because I know... It just tells me what God is doing in the world. I don't worry about it. I don't. I know God is in control. He's sovereign. He's doing His will, and we're not going to get in the way of that. And so, those kinds of things, you have to just probe. Now, if there's some kind of a, a medical issue, the next thing I would say is get a checkup. Mm-hmm. Go to the doctor, get a checkup. how you know what's going on? Uh, you have anxiety because your heart is beating fast. You got a high blood pressure. You get palpitations. I mean, it could be all kinds of things going on. You don't feel well. Well, that could. Definitely produce anxiety. Anxiety in and of itself is not a, is not a sinful or a bad thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it can, it's going to tell us what's going on. Why am I anxious? Why? Let's figure this out. Uh, the world looks to figure it out through prescriptions oftentimes. Yeah. The psychology. There's no answers there, really. Um, any, any psychologist that can answer, can give you an answer that is found in the scriptures, why in the world go to a psychologist? Mm-hmm. Right? We have the scriptures. We, can, we are able to counsel one another in the scriptures. We have the church body. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of avenues to go down before you go to medication. Okay, and I would would say one thing they found about how, about medication. Oftentimes, with medications for psychological issues may work for a while, mm-hmm. but they typically they pick, typically peter out and you yeah. have no no value any longer. And they have to do other things find other drugs, up the dose, lower the dose, and it's just the word of God is sufficient for most um, most amen. things. Thank okay. you. Does that answer
0: you? Yeah. Yes. Oh, we're supposed to do one of these now. You're on, new elder. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right, I'm just going to go off the, my, my printer broke, so I had <laughs> to email myself any of it. <laughs> and, that course, that was at like 545. Um. So I'll take the first one on my list. It was a question about uh, speaking, uh, Hebrews 9, and 16. And the question was really uh, about the, the covenant there, what type of covenant is in view. And the, I think the question was just basically um, coming from the understanding that the covenant would have been like a, a covenant as an agreement between two parties, and w- you know, in the context in, in Hebrews there, the, the covenant is a covenant that's given by by God and only by God. So it's a covenant that he himself is going to uh, fulfill. And so the idea of the covenant in view there, let me read the passage. Yeah. Yeah. So it says this in starting in verse 15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant in order that sit in order that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgression that we uh, that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. For where there is a covenant, there is there must be a necessity of necessity, be the death of the one who made it. So the the covenant in view is not a covenant of uh, between two parties. Uh, God is the one that promised it, and it's kind of like a, a covenant. I think the, a, a good way to understand it is like a last will and testament. So God promised an eternal inheritance. So God promising an eternal inheritance, it was necessary that there be a death for the covenant to be uh, fulfilled, for the inheritance to be released. Any
0: Any other questions about that? Hold on, hold on,
4: hold on. Are you saying that it's a covenant that God made with himself in eternity past? Is that what it is?
1: Uh, it's, It's... in the in the context, it's the new covenant. So the new covenant is a promise that God Himself made. It, he said He would do it, and it has to do with inheritance. So basically, like a last will and testament type covenant, requires the death of the one who gave the covenant. So through Christ's death, the covenant is fulfilled. Right, the the stipulation of the covenant. So I guess yeah, eternity passed. it was all in his all in his plan. To, to have it uh, come forward in that way.
0: We'll let somebody else ask a question since Joe just kind of you know piggybacked. Is there another question out there? No. No. All right. Um, oh, somebody's got one. Yeah, sorry. I was waiting till the last second. Visual cues. Um, So, I know as a man, we're called
1: to work. Um, But as a man who is not physically fully capable, what is exactly required of me for providing for my household? Because it's hard to find work out here. Everybody turns you away when you've got something wrong with you, so they don't want to face uh, legal and ethical dilemmas. So they just tell you, oh, they don't want to hire you. So what do I do?
0: That's a great, that's a great question. Um, obviously we understand, uh, at least from what you've said, what the Bible says, right? First, or Paul says to the Thessalonian church, to the men of Thessalonian church, if you won't work, you won't eat, All right? If you won't work, you won't eat. So There are people in the Thessalonian church that were able-bodied people, able to work, but they wouldn't work. They were just waiting around, waiting for the day of Christ's return, and sitting around as idle people, even though they could work, and so they were a burden on others. But I don't believe in any kind of way Paul meant there that if you're unable to work, i.e., like you explained in your own condition, you, you can't find it or you, you're you unable to work because your physical limitations uh, don't allow for that. I think two things happen there, right? God God is sovereign in caring for every need that we have, so God will care for us, but how does He go about doing that? One of the ways God does that with those who are able to work is they go to work. God provides for us through the reality that we go to work, but The question that's, I think, being asked is, how do I do that if I'm not able to work? Uh, How can I fulfill that? And I think your fulfilling of your God-given requirements in the home is being a a leader in the home, uh, one who uh, provides leadership in the home, and yet God may be allowing your able-bodied person in that home to work. Your wife may be working in order to provide for the home because she is able-bodied. And you may be providing the other side of that by God's design and comes alongside that is the church, right? The church is required in many ways. Paul says uh, that we are to take care of widows and orphans in their time of need. He qualifies widows, widows indeed, or widows in need, which are two kinds, right? One widow has family who is available to care for her. They're They're required to take care of them in order to not burden the church. And then there are those who don't, which are widows in need. And they, they have, uh, the church if they're faithful in the church. The church cares for them. And so I think that's God's design. I think that's God's providential way to care for your family, that he has you in a place where he's given you these physical ailments by his mercy and grace. And yet, um, There probably are things that you could do, uh, maybe not outside the home, but maybe through being in the home whereby uh, there's opportunities to earn income. I don't know what those are, but I I would imagine uh, you're not the only person in that condition. Um, And there are people who could uh, and and avenues in which that can be pursued in order to find out ways where, where maybe you could exercise that. Uh, in some kind of way Um, uh, is that helpful okay yeah if i could just
2: add a little bit um you know god i know it's a controversial thing but god does bless us with the government (laughs) and uh and there is money available i mean i pay tax; we all pay taxes and it goes to help people who need help Mm -hmm. and unfortunately we live in a world where those who need it aren't getting it and those who get it sometimes aren't needing it and so I would uncover every avenue, every rock that you can find, where the government makes provision for people with that need it, and you would definitely would classify there. Uh, there's no shame in that. Uh, that's God has provided that uh, through through taxes, right, for the, for the needy. For the, uh, so yeah, look at every every option. Maybe there's I, I don't know exactly every detail, but there's you know sometimes working at home online. Uh, f- uh, there's all kinds of ways that maybe you could look into to, to care for your family in that way, um, customer service through online avenues and such. But anyway, those are just a couple of suggestions. So if we can help you, please don't hesitate to, to contact your deacon. They're good at it. So, All right. Another question on the. Um, I have a question here that was sent in. Um, how would you lead your flock into developing a stronger, deeper devotion to God? All right, I have to think about that and all kinds of things. I came up with five in particular that came to mind right away. Um, the first thing would be uh, just, you know, by being, by being pointed to the holy character of God, studying his attributes uh, would greatly enrich your heart and mind about uh, devotion to God, uh, meditating on scripture certainly, as we learned this morning, uh, studying his attributes. Uh, this, there are so many love, wrath, holiness, wisdom, forgiveness, etc. Uh, understanding God on that by a study of the scripture. Second thing would be by understanding, having a greater understanding of the mind and character of the human heart. Sinful human heart, in contrast to who God is in his holiness, and his character, would certainly drive, should drive us to a deeper devotion of who God is. How can a holy God Perfectly holy, look down and associate with unholy, depraved sinners like us. That should drive you to a deeper devotion and appreciation for the mercy and love of God. I know as long as I grow in my Christian walk, the older that I get, I, I, God reveals more and more of my sinfulness, and it tends to uh, drive me to a greater and deeper appreciation for God's mercy on me, particularly. Uh, the third thing is uh, the contrast of these two realities should produce a heart of worship, as I just said, um, as we consider God's uh, you know, undeserving grace towards us. Um, the, the fourth thing would be a, by preaching the gospel to ourselves uh, daily, renewing our minds, Romans 12, 12, 2, as we seek to live out the, great, the two greatest commandments. One is loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the others to love our neighbor as ourself would certainly uh, draw us to a greater understanding of where we are in our relationship to God and our neighbor. And the fifth one, lastly, is to uh, not only read Scripture often, but also to read good books. A couple of them that I would suggest would be uh, The Disciplines of Grace and Trust in God by Jerry Bridges, great books uh, by men. Uh, They are men. Be careful, obviously. The Gospel Primer for Christians by... Uh, Milton Vincent is a great little tool that would help you to to uh, have a better understanding and uh, desire for God, and and the third one would be um, spiritual disciplines for the, by the uh, for the Christian life by Don Whitney. Another great tool that would help you to to uh, give you a deeper um, understanding and desire for God, and then just read the Puritans. A lot of the Puritans, are, they're just wonderful, wonderful writers and. Uh, but again, with anything, any man, you know, you have to be careful uh, we're just men, men are men and make mistakes, but being, reading with a, with a critical mind, uh, but certainly go back to number one, search the scriptures.
0: Did you add anything to that, Neil?
1: Uh, yeah, my my thinking on that is I've been reading through a, a book on uh, Acts chapter 20, and and what you know, it's Paul's uh, address to the the Ephesians, and two of the things that he says uh, he says, pay careful attention to yourself and to the flock. And as part of that, he says it's declaring the the whole counsel of God. So I know that's that's you know that's Paul's final words to those Ephesian elders. So those are of, of top priority and be alert. And then the the second thing that I had as part of that, as I've been studying through uh, Ephesians, and uh, Paul gets to a prayer in Ephesians chapter three, and this has been a prayer that I've been praying for the church because I think it's you see Paul's heart in in this uh, particular prayer, and he says this for this reason I bow um, my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory He may grant to you to be strengthened with the power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you be rooted and grounded in love and may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of His fullness, filled with all the fullness of God. So I think with, with that, the concept of being alert, uh, paying careful attention to myself, so make sure I'm fully devoted to Christ and the same for the flock. And the prayer is that, you know, what Paul says here, that Christ may dwell in our hearts and that we may understand uh, more and more his love for us.
0: That's, I think if I was to add anything to what these two guys have said, would just simply to say that, that my desire for for us as a people is to change our mind. Uh, Romans 12 clearly tells us to renew our mind. Which means there are things in our mind that shouldn't be in our minds. There's thinking in our minds that we should not have there that needs to be changed. And the only way that happens is through scriptural saturation. So everything that we do, whether it's Studying of the scriptures, whether it's personal study ourselves, whether it's walking with others who have studied the scriptures through good books that we're reading, those who are ancients in the past from us. We are we are my goal in, in, in handing those things out and speaking about those things and, and in discipleship is to saturate our minds with the truth so that our minds are changed. Why? Because just like the scriptures tell us in Proverbs, out of the heart flows the wellsprings of life, right? It's out of the heart that thinking comes. It's, it's our inner man. That's what we're talking about. What's inside of us and the fallenness that is there that creeps its way out and gets squeezed out by all kinds of other things that the world offers as the easy way. And it's easy for us to think like the world. And we want to think like God thinks. And the only way to do that is to be saturated with how He thinks and what He thinks and why He thinks that way and what we're supposed to do in light of that thinking. And That's the only thing that's going to change what comes out of the heart so that out of my heart flows the wellsprings of life that reflect Him. The the renewing of my mind change so I'm not conformed to the things of the world, but I'm transformed by that. And uh, so that's that's how I go about that and think about that. All right, next question out there. Out there in the sea of questions. We're only getting questions from like this one section out here. Everybody else is either bored to death, knows the answers, asleep, or something. But we got one out here. Go ahead, Ben. We're going to let Ben ask Joe, you're going to have to wait. Right, I'll wait. Right. <laughs> so as uh,
3: Mr. McCarthy mentioned tonight, and also as we were learning on Mondays, uh, we're to be continually devoted to God in everything that we're doing. So how can we pursue that in areas such as, like if we're watching a sports game or listening to non-Christian music or playing video games, how are you able to be continually devoting to God when we're doing things that aren't exactly in the Bible or scriptural?
0: Anyone? <laughs> Anyone?
2: I'll I'll, uh, I'll, st- <laughs> I'll start. <laughs>
0: That's
2: a good question. Um, well, you can do that. I think um, you know w- you watch people do sports or video, whatever. Video, my I got sons they play video games. I watch them. It's very comical sometimes to watch, but because I really have no interest, so I sort of I'm a spectator. You know, and uh, it's kind of a sport in and of itself, maybe for me, but um, how are you reacting you know how are you reacting with your friends in those moments um, you know you, you want to see people's character come out, sit around a table and play a board game with a bunch of people You'll see some character come out, right? People get excited and they jump up and down and they get angry and they you know all of those kind of that, that's just so how how are you devoting yourself? To god that 's really a good test to see your character. how are you going to react to some of those things? Are you devoting your, your character your attitude to God in those moments where your emotions just they 're riled up you know or it may sound very you know mundane but that's that 's the fact of the matter. How do you react and respond in those times in those those moments with your friends um, it 's a good test of character Anybody else?
0: Yeah, I'll just piggyback on that. You know, one of the things it goes into what I just, part of what I I was saying earlier about renewing the mind, right? We we are involved in all kinds of life, things of life. The issue isn't our involvement per se unless it's a clear sinful thing. The issue is will it become sin with me? Will it become something that hinders my devotion to God, right? That takes me in the direction of sinfulness. Something that, that I'm finding I'm spending an inordinate amount of time with, where it hinders my biblical saturation, my godly thinking, the renewing of my mind. It's molding me and shaping me into the way the world thinks, whether that's a movie, whether that's music, whether that's a TV show, whether that's sports. I know some of you are really big sports fans or some other thing in my life, right? The psalmist uh, in Psalm 19 said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. So this is all about how I live and how I think and what I'm doing when I'm doing it. Are the words of my mouth, are the meditations of my heart, are the musings of my life amusement? Or are they musings on the things of God and the things that are about God and, and are those things driving me in a direction of sinfulness? That's how we have to evaluate it. So we can't say necessarily, is it wrong to watch a TV program or is it sinful to, to uh, do whatever it is I might be doing that is not necessarily a sin? The issue is, what is it doing to me? I have to be thoughtful and thinking about that and guarding myself, guarding myself. Well, the only way you're going to do that is have a high view of God, realizing that God's there and that God is going, "Hey, why aren't you spending time with me? you're not thinking about me? What are you doing? Why aren't you doing that? You know, last week you said you were going to spend time with me, you. you haven't spent time with me. And I don't mean you're hearing voices. I just mean you know what's going on in your heart. You know. You know how much time you're spending there. You know how much time whatever it is you're doing is taking? You know that. I mean, I've heard testimonies of some of you who said, listen, I had to get rid of that in my life. It was just, it was just absorbing me. I didn't have any time to do anything. I wasn't seeking after the Lord. Why? Because I was doing this. And so I had to get rid of it out of my life. That's, we have to do that with things in our life. We have to excise those things at times. And, and oftentimes it's radical excising we have to cut it out because we're just too weak. We're too weak in that area of our life. And particularly in our minds, because we can't we can't take ourself away. So we need we need to just excise it from our life. And that becomes difficult at times, particularly in our day and age when we have so much available to us. I mean, we all have apps on our phone. How much time you spend clicking through the apps? May not be a game app, but it's a bunch of apps. You look at your use time on that phone and go, man, what was I doing? Whole well, day went by. We convince ourselves very easily that, ah, oh, yeah, but it's no big deal. I always got tomorrow. Tomorrow we do the same thing. Next thing you know, we're not growing at all. It's it's become who we are, rather than what we've done. Does that help, Ben? All right, next question. What do we got here? It's us pick a hard one. Huh? Oh, Joe's going to ask one? Okay. You can, I can ask it after. If no, want. no, go ahead. Um, it's all for was you, brother. I am just
4: curious what Paul means when he says, and I know it's not, this isn't about this, it's about love, but he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... In First Corinthians thirteen what is, oh sorry, what does he mean by speaking with the tongues of men and of angels like what is the tongue what would the tongues of angels mean
0: well he, you got to remember and and maybe this is a piggyback on a on another question we have about hermeneutics right well, what 's the benefit of hermeneutics hermeneutics simply is for lack of a a grand definition, it's the science of interpretation, hermeneutics. And there's several aspects in hermeneutics that, in order to understand the text that we have because it's an ancient text, so we have to bridge some gaps when it comes to hermeneutics. And and one of those is a historical gap because we didn't live 2,000 years ago, so we have to bridge that gap and, and understand the history of when it was written, why it was written, who it was written to, and all those kind of things. But we also take it in the normal form of language because God communicated to us in formal language in order to be understood. He didn't communicate to us in weird kinds of things. And so every kind of uh, idiom and, and, and ways in which we talk to one another now were used even back then. So there's, there's metaphors and there's hyperbole and there's all these kinds of things. And So in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul is speaking in a hyperbolic way. He's he's not saying that there is angel language in the sense that I've heard the angels talk and, and man, if I could talk like them, it'd be great. And if I spoke like them, what a wonderful thing. He's using hyperbolic language in the Corinthians' understanding of what was going on because they were abusing their gifts. And they weren't acting in love. Gifts are to be used out of an exercise of self-sacrifice, not for self-aggrandizement. It's not to puff myself up, it's to serve other people. And Paul's saying, listen, even if I speak, if I had these gifts there, where I could speak like angels. He's not saying there's angelic language like that. He's just saying, if I could, if there was such a, a high place, and I had that, if I didn't have love, it would be meaning." So in First Corinthians 13, that's what he's talking about. He's just speaking in that kind of hyperbolic way, that's saying, you know, love is is the the essence of how we treat one another. Not the gift. It doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter how high that gift is, or how how much it's desired by people, or or who has whatever. It's not the gift. It's the self-sacrifice. That's the issue. That help? Make yeah. sense? Okay. Perfect. There is not, as far as we know, angel language. And and if there was, we can't learn it. Because we're not angels. Good question. So I kind of piggybacked on the hermeneutics question there a little bit and made a quick answer to that in hermeneutics. Ye- Hermeneutics is important. Somebody was asking about the importance of hermeneutics in one of the written questions. Hermeneutics is important because we want to understand what God means by what He says. Right? If we don't understand what God means by what He says, then we don't have the Word of God. We have the Word of our own understanding, not the Word of God. If we came up here tonight and read questions that people asked us and just made up what we wanted, said whatever we wanted, we're not communicating in a hermeneutic way. We, we're not taking what you said and understanding it the way you meant it to be understood and then answering that question in the way you understand that. It's the same with the Word of God. We, we need to understand God in the way He has communicated Himself and the meaning by which He communicated. So authorial intent is the issue. What did the author mean when it was written? How did the people who it was written to understand it to mean at the time? And so hermeneutics is extremely important in understanding the text of Scripture and in understanding anything we communicate. I mean, that's being totally blown out of the water today. People don't talk about it by way of hermeneutics, but it's being blown out of the water today in the communication that happens in our world. Because now, I don't call myself a he or a him. I call myself a bee or a bomb or whatever you want to call yourself. You don't have to, be whatever pronoun you want, just make it up. doesn't matter. Well, that erases all the lines of meaning to anything. To anything. This goes to another question that somebody asked. And maybe, I don't know if it's on our sheets, but I saw it somewhere. I don't know if it came through on something. Somebody asked, how do you answer somebody in our day and age that, wants to be, that, that maybe is a male that wants to be called a female, or a female that wants to be called a male? How do you answer that? Neil, how do you answer that? All
1: right, yeah, so I did, I did write that one down. Um, I thought I saw it somewhere. I, yeah. I was
0: checking my sheets and going, I didn't see it. Yeah, that. I think I just told you that we were oh, going to get okay. it. Oh, okay. Like sheet. Yeah,
1: so originally when I was thinking about that question, I've always thought about it as in like uh, God's... Well, I guess let's go back to hermeneutics for a second. So back to hermeneutics, the Genesis. If you have a wrong hermeneutic, you don't read Genesis as a historical narrative of what actually happened. You know, we're, we're to read Genesis as a historical narrative of what ha- actually happened, not Hebrew poetry or something along those lines. So when you read the Genesis account, it is God's actual account of how he created. And so I've thought of that that. That pronoun question, I think I used to think of it basically exclusively in the realm of, you know, God in Genesis, he created male and female. So it's, it's tied into their biology. But as I, was, as I was reading that and listened to Owen Strand talking about it too, and he pointed out something along the lines of when, when God created and he breathed into Adam and made him a living being— that his actual maleness was in his being so the the um if that if that makes sense if it's in his being it's in how he was created by god so when god created him a man it was in the living being that he breathed into him and the biology reflects what god has done so as far as as how you would answer somebody that that wants that to be done it's um, I'm going to have to go with what, what God says, and you have to try to do it in as loving a way as you can and, and explain why you're doing it. Bring them back to the Bible and say, this is why I'm doing it. I'm going to go with what God has said in his word, because it's not just biological. It's actually in the creation order of how we are as beings. It's it's in our very makeup. So it's, it's more than just uh, DNA. And... As far as, you know, this is issues that have have come up in in my life as well. It's somebody changes their name on a piece of paper, if that's the name they want to be called. I don't typically have an issue calling them that name. But when it comes to actually things that change what they perceive their gender to be, I have to follow what God says in his word.
0: Yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing because we deal with that today, don't we? Right? People around our world claiming to be anything they want to be. And uh, Neil's right on that, you know, we as Christians live in reality. Think about that. Right, we are called by God because God is a god of reality. He's not a god of fantasy, he's not a god of illusion, he's a god of reality, and he requires us to live in reality according to what he defines reality to be. And he defines reality just as Neil described, male and female, he created them. And so someone may say to me, hey, listen, I'm not a female, I'm a male. And I say, that's not reality. That's not reality. I I understand that you'd like to live there yourself and, and you can go on living there, but I can't acknowledge that because that's fantasy. I have to live in reality, and the Bible clearly tells me to speak truth to you in love. I can't, I can't acknowledge your fantasy because that's not truth. I can't acknowledge that. Now, if you want to be called Bob and you're a female, I can do that. It really, doesn't matter to me what you want to be called as a name, because names uh, can be masculine or feminine by way of their their. Uh, etymology, but your gender is something given to you by God in reality, not fantasy. And so I'm going to have to uh, address you according to your reality. Now you may not like me for that, you may call me bigoted or whatever, and I understand that, but I have to live there because that's what God requires of us. We live in reality, not fantasy. And our world wants to live in fantasy land. Uh, That's where they want to live. You know, because that's easy. Why? If I live in fantasy land, there's no guilt upon me. If I live in fantasy land, there's no one holding me accountable for what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So my sin becomes blurred in fantasy land. But in reality world, in God's world, sin is definitive. Sin is clear, God's judgment is clear, and God's calling out of sin is clear. Well, man doesn't want that. Romans 1 is clear. They suppress that truth in their unrighteousness. They don't suppress it in their clarity. They suppress it out of their darkened heart. It's their unrighteousness in which they suppress that truth. And so then they're off to the races in fantasy land, living by whatever fantasy they want, and all the other fantasy lovers will acknowledge that and say, Oh, we're we're just being loving. Well that's just the definition of love in fantasy land, but it's not what love is. So Good answer, Neil. All right. What else? Thank you. Thank you for uh, taking
3: questions. Um, The three of you, say you have a disagreement, say it's important, you feel strongly about it, you know, direction for the church or how to apply scripture. Okay, how to, <laughs> how to apply scripture to a certain individual or situation or even something really important like the color of the carpet. Or <laughs> but, <laughs> but say you have a disagreement and, and you feel strongly about it and, and you're not going to come to an agreement. What do you do with that? How do you resolve that between you?
0: That's a really good question, Al, because that's happened. It's happened in the tenure of my time here. So I'll let Russ answer.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Refresh my memory. When has it happened? Because <laughs> <laughs> my answer to that question would have been, man, I, I don't remember. It hasn't happened with us, he and I, but it has happened in our elders over, over the years. Yeah,
2: um... Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> hey, I'm a forgiving person. What can I say? Just... Um, yeah, well, with uh, with that kind of situation, it, it, like I said, it rarely, rarely happens, but it has happened. And so we'll definitely talk a lot about the particular topic. It probably won 't get resolved in one one chat one talk typically it's just you need to you know we listen to the opinions of others uh extend grace always uh, just try to come to a, conclu- a, a a biblical conclusion after the scriptures are weighed um, i 've never seen a three way split right it's always been two against one, you know, again, not against, but just differing opinions of one with three, out of three, those kinds of things. So if it was like a three-way deal, wow. It would take a lot of a lot of prayer, a lot of research, a lot of thinking, a lot of diving into the scriptures deeply. Uh, we might even consult people within the church, deacons, uh, men outside the church that we know that are godly. To resolve such a such an issue in in the, in the multitude of counselors, safety, right? That's what the scriptures teach. So we, we go with that first. So un, uncover every opportunity, every rock that we can to find out what is what should we do, you know. And uh, for me personally, if if there was a disagreement and and these two guys were not persuaded, I would defer. Okay, not a big, you know, it, it's. Nothing's that big of a deal. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I guess it could be some things, but, uh, you know, it's just to me, it's, I'll trust their wisdom. Uh, Again, after seeking wise counsel in every, <clears throat> in every avenue that can be sought, I would personally defer. To the other, the other third. that's just, I think that's the right thing to do. I think that's what the scripture says. We see that in Acts, right, where there were disagreements and they, they solved the issue. That's, that's kind of where I would go um,
0: yeah. I think he I think Russ brings up a good point in reference to uh, elder functioning, and that is the principle of deference. You don't hear of that often uh, when when you hear of church things and stuff like that going on in leadership, you don't hear of deference, and we're not talking about. Deferring on on clear things in Scripture that are clear, but when difficulties do come up, the typical process that has taken place is we go back to the Scriptures and we spend time we table whatever the item is and 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 go back individually and look at the Scriptures again and and see if maybe we're not looking at it rightly or 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 make sure that we're clear that we're talking about. And and if we're not clear, then we can come back and have those discussions and and try to gain clarity and and those kinds of things. And and sometimes those discussions can be very passionate discussions. And I use that word rightly because it's not that that we're angry at one another, but we're passionate about the conviction we're dealing with. And the the conviction we have about a truth in Scripture, and we we want to ensure that we all understand that. And so there's passion in those kinds of discussions. Uh, And yet there are times when you come down to the end of it, and and it seems like everything's there, and and humility says to the heart, if you're walking in humility, I'm going to defer. I'm going to defer on this. Uh, Pride says, no, I'm not deferring, I'm doing my own deal. That's what happens, sometimes, and uh, and we just desire to to try to maintain the unity of the bond of peace by being of the same mind, right? As as the scriptures teach us, and trying to understand the perspective and the nuance that maybe the other guy is looking at, so that we can understand that, and then grapple with that according to scripture, so that we. Uh, so that we can walk together. But whatever happens in those times together, collectively, outside of those times, we're a unified group. We're a unified group. Um, Or at least that's the heart that we want to have. Uh, So that no matter what's, what's going on, it's not about a personal issue, it's not personally against one another or anything like that, so that when we're dealing with all of us, we're, we're on a unified reality. And
2: the other part of that, too, is deferring is, um, you know, if it's like a, non, a non-essential thing, right, I don't really
0: care. I just say,
2: you guys do what you want. I'm not going to argue over it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't even get on my radar in non-essentials. But when it comes to essential, which is the truth of Scripture, uh, truth is, is like the top of the list for me, God's truth out of his word. And, you know, when we, we had an issue in the past where, uh, one wouldn 't defer, and it was based on truth. The person had a, a preconceived idea uh, didn 't rest on the, on the truth of what the of reality of what was really happening would not would not defer would not listen to uh, others uh, and just went, went his own way uh, i 'm not going to give in to that if it 's if it's, uh, about truth and, and what the person wants is not true and not right and good and, and Bring unity in the church. I'm out of there. I'm not interested. I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to give at all, ever. And so that's, that's where I stand in deferring at. Non essentials, doesn't really matter. Essentials, yeah, truth, whatever is true, right? Think on those things. That's what Paul told us to do. So do that. Mm-hmm. I've had this
3: conversation with Neil when he first started considering him to be he an know. elder. And uh, he one of the I asked him, what would you do with that?" And one of the things he said is, in scriptural, we would submit to one another in love and, and which is what you guys just said, basically, so I appreciate that yeah
0: that, that certainly is our desire. I mean, obviously we're men with clay feet, and we can certainly uh get sideways, and that's why I said this morning, you, you need to be praying for us." Because uh, temptation's always there to dig our heels in, and, you know, say I'm not budging on this deal, you know, kind of thing and not be wise.
2: Yeah. And just to add one more is that um, when if there's deferring going on, defer deference going on, you, you, it's never wise when it go if it does go south for the person who didn't want to defer to say, see, I told you guys come to the church. Yeah, I told these guys they, they wouldn't listen to me. That's, you know what, you just count your losses and, and, and solve the problem and move on and learn from it, but to, but to cause a riff and a friction, and a, that's just, that is ugly, that's bad, that's not a, that's not a good thing. So you just you live with it, and you, you learn, right?
0: Like, we're, we're, we're just men, and we, all, we are all learning. Yeah, I would say, too, if, if we have that heart as elders to come and say, see, I told you so, that's an unqualifying reality. Right, Because we're not to be factious. We're not to be disunifiers or to be unified. And so if we have that attitude to go, see, I told you so, look at me, you shouldn't listen to me. That's, that's, that's an exercise of a prideful heart that doesn't fit anywhere in First Timothy 3 or Titus 1. Anyway, good question. It's a good question, good practical question on how we uh, how we operate, or at least we strive to operate. I will say, too, to all of us, just kind of a general PSA kind of thing. You know, we pray as elders on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning. We pray before service, meet in my office at nine o'clock. Any men who want to join us with that, please come do that. We have several who come already. My office is pretty full already, but we'll take more. Uh, We don't ever turn down prayer, especially for the church and for people of God. So. We just know that. We're praying for the church every morning, praying for our time together, our worship time together, that it would be God-honoring. What's another question, guys? What time is it? You guys still want to go for another 15 minutes or so? Okay. Another what? I don't know. Go ahead, Neil. <laughs> Question back there? Oh, he doesn't belong to our church. We don't give him. <laughs> Ed, you got to ask it in English. Okay.
5: Um, in the mid-'90s and, and onward all the way up until present day, um, I've been in situations where there was elders that I was responsible for in trying to direct what needed to be done to help them to be independent without my presence. And um, there was much uh, correction that needed to be done so they could be autonomous local assembly uh, without interference from the pastor missionary, you know, the uh, BMW. Well, I uh, have tried to improve in this area of not... Being offensive um, to the other elders and not to be overwhelming with my corrections or whatever and and um, in this particular verse that came up today, it just kind of took me from uh, it, it stated according to as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, before him in love. Um, this was something that was conducted not by myself, but by God before the foundations of the world was established. Now, Ephesians one four, and I heard this man speak, and he said, um, "Before I was saved, I lived like the devil, and now that um, I'm converted in Christ, I live completely different." Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this talking about a positional? Um, work of God that he had done, or is it talking about our practice that we have to put to our scientification to? Uh, According to this gentleman, it was uh, a responsibility of ours. And uh, you know that Ephesians is divided uh, almost in half. In the first part is dealing with doctrine, our positional, um, uh, you know, in Christ. You know, it repeats itself again and again what he has done. It's nothing that we have done. It's what he has done, even before the foundations of the world. But this gentleman made this known, and I I try to think, what happened when I tried to correct Geraldo back so many years ago in the 90s when I was uh, a young whippersnapper, and I was in superiority over him. He was a 60-something-year-old man, and I kind of humiliated him. And I says, it wasn't worth it. So I shut my mouth, and I says, well, I'll try to try to correct this matter, but in my own message or whatever. And I made a distinction on how we need to interpret Scripture, because you guys were talking about hermeneutics, but at the same time you're talking about how you're going to deal with one another if you're having a disagreement or something like that. Well, I've run into this disagreement hundreds of times over, but I've kind of learned through my mistakes and how to deal with those of age. And and I'll tell you, a man that's 87 years old, you have to be very careful to not humiliate him before the congregation that we're trying to lead. And, and you have to know how to deal with him in such a way that's, not going And it's the truth of God's word. I mean, we're talking about something very important here. It's not the color of the carpet here. <laughs> and how are you going to deal with it? That's a real live situation that goes on with church planting, with a missionary. It happens again and again and again and again. And it's not very easy to deal with. You need to have much tact and know how to correct it because they're doctrinal issues. Yeah.
0: Is there a how would you is there deal a with it? question in that yes how would you deal with it what is the question how do you deal with somebody like that yes okay if I sometimes because we're behind the speakers it's sometimes hard to hear the full question um, I think your question is how do you deal with somebody who has said something from scripture that seems to be wrong but they're older is that what you're saying yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes the problem isn't necessarily what they say, and I'm not saying what they say is right. Sometimes the problem is how I'm hearing it. For example, people say, "God said to me," and then they share, and so I, I prayed for this person, and I. I cringe when I hear those words, God said to me or God spoke to me or whatever. But I've, I've kind of made it my practice to say, what do you mean by that? If I'm trying to help them. What do you mean when you say God said to me? Because very often what I've found out is people don't mean they heard an audible voice from God, thankfully. Thankfully they don't mean that because they're not hearing a voice from God, I can guarantee you that. They mean that they just kind of believe that's the direction God is taking them. Or they're, or they're, there's Scripture that they've read and they believe that's God impressing upon them to go this direction. So it's something from the Word of God that's moving them in that direction. And so I say, okay, well, that, that, that helps me. And then we can talk about the things so that I have an understanding of what they're actually saying. And so... Maybe in helping this person, the best way to handle that is to ask them a question. Can you help me understand what exactly you mean by that? Do you mean positionally that we're in Christ? Or do you mean that you somehow crank it up in your own life? I think that was part of what you were saying. That you, uh, because there is an aspect of our Christian life, right? That, that, that we have the Holy Spirit, that it's all of God, and yet it's us too. Not in the sense of getting saved, but in walking out in sanctification. We are commanded to walk by faith, right?
5: It's just that that one particular verse deals with what God did. It didn't have anything to do with
0: what we do. True. True. Ephesians chapter 1 is all about what God has accomplished for us. Yes. Well, that's maybe the way to handle it and, and ask them what they mean by that. And then ask them, okay... How, how is that fitting? Maybe you can help me understand how that's fitting in what Paul is saying to the Ephesian church, right? Because authorial intent is the issue. If I don't understand it as the Apostle Paul meant it, which is how God meant it through the Apostle Paul being carried along by the Holy Spirit, then I don't have what Paul meant. And so I have to stay there with it, right? And so that's, that's what I would ask him. I would ask in an appealing kind of way, help me understand how you're thinking through that. And that's going to give you a better understanding than just that one statement made and you go, man, that's wrong. Because it may be in fact wrong, but maybe it's just the way they're stating it. It isn't a full understanding. Is that helpful? Yes. Okay. Okay. Good question. Good statement. We got another one on paper? You're on. You're on. Oh, Joe? Oh, Joe. Did you ever get to ask your question? I don't know. Hold on. Get a mic. I need the mic.
4: I don't know if you guys have it written down or anything up there, but um, how would you address somebody that says that they're, they believe that the word of God is inerrant and they support Black Lives Matter and critical race theory and stuff like that and they'll take a verse like Acts 6 in the first verse, couple verses there where he talks about the, uh, you know, the Hellenistic uh, believers complaining against the Jews because they're discriminating against the widows of the Hellenists and they had yeah, to do all yeah. that in order to distribute the food to them. Because I've gotten into debates with people about that. And I'm just curious how you guys would how you guys would answer or, uh, you know, respond to somebody making a defense of that thinking.
0: Yeah, for, for me, uh, I, would, I would go back to trying to gain an understanding of how they came to that conclusion from the text itself, which goes back to hermeneutics. How are they interpreting scriptures? Because I know this, if they're drawing conclusions like that from texts like that, then their hermeneutic isn't right. I know that. I know that going in. They don't know that, but I know that. And so I want to help that. I want to try to understand where they got that and try to help them understand the Scriptures from a bigger perspective rather than from just that issue. I want to get away from the, as much as I can from the hot point issue because that issue fades when they actually understand the Scriptures rightly. So I don't want to argue that hotbed issue because that's a moot thing. That's, that's a nonsense thing to even be talking about. Let's talk about what God actually says. And once we understand that, then we can deal with whether they actually are believing in the inerrancy of Scripture. And those bigger issues that they want to claim as their, their proof and background and stand for why they're making the declarations that they're making. And so I, I go there. I just try to say, "Help me understand," because I want to it's much like in apologetics, right, when you're defending the faith, you you want to get somebody to the place when you're defending the faith or helping them understand why they don't believe in God is because they're the ones that think they're the God. You get them to the place where the only thing they're looking at is themselves in the mirror. You try to help them get to that place about their own thinking. This is the logical conclusion and drive of your thinking. That's, that's all I try to do with somebody like that in a loving, kind, gentle way. Try to say, here's where your thinking takes you. That's not where the scriptures take you, and you can show them places in scripture. And you know, it's 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 pretty simple to find contradictions to that kind of thing in scripture. Yeah. And so you have to talk about those things, right? One of the principles of hermeneutics is the perpiscuity of scripture. All scripture is in agreement with itself. There aren't contradictions in Scripture. That would mean that God is contradictive in His own mind. And if God is contradictive, then why do we trust anything God said? So God is clear on everything even when those things appear to be contradictions in our mind. The problem isn't with God. The problem is with my understanding, not with God. So I have a high view of God and a high view of Scripture and, and try to take it back to that view so that help them understand where they stand before a holy God in that way. You guys want to add anything to that?
1: Yeah, I think I think <clears throat> I think when I think through some of those those issues that it's just a matter of we have to define things the way that God does. So it's it's what what's God's view of justice? And you look at God's view of justice, and you know, God's view of justice is much different than the view that they put forward today, which is really more like revenge rather than justice. So it's everything we have to define based on, you know, God's definition, God's viewpoint, because ultimately he is the only one that is just and holy and right. So whatever he has to say, that's that's what is true.
0: But again, and I'll just kind of banter back and forth here a little bit with you, Neil. Again, that comes down to who's right. Who's right? The guy who says, I believe in inerrancy and this is my view and black lives matter and there's injustice going on in Acts chapter six or somebody like us who says that's not what the Bible says. Who's right? And how do you know? Right? Doesn't it always come down to that? Who's right? And how do you know?
4: Yeah,
0: good <laughs> a proper hermeneutic, right? It comes down to the reality of understanding the mind of God as God gave it to us in a proper way, which is historical, grammatical, literal understanding of the scriptures, so that we have the authorial intent of the Scripture. What God means is what God means. It doesn't mean something to you that it means different to me. God means what He means. And so that's that's why it always comes down to that. It comes down to that kind of issue so that you can say, no, I can stand here with conviction because we've went to the Scriptures, we've gone through the process, we've looked at the text, we've drawn out the text in a historical, literal, grammatical way, understanding all of the Bible as a cohesive unit, not contradicting something else in our understanding with somewhere else in Scripture that says something different. We know that's what God means by what it says, and we can stand there with conviction. And I can say, I'm right. That doesn't mean I'm pridefully saying I'm right. I can just say, that's what God means. And declare it. Not suggest it, but declare it. This is what God says. All right? So when God says you're a male, I can say you're a male. With clarity, with conviction. Even though they say, well, I believe in the Bible, but that's not what God means. God is love. Is that true? Yes. However, you see what I mean? Yeah, it's true God's love. But, we got to make sure that when we say God is love, we understand God is love by how God defines God as love, not by how we do. Which is what Neil said earlier. All right, we have to define it as God defines it. All right, there's a way to There's a way to get to the place where you can say, "This is right. This is right." Seven thirty. One more. One more quick one. One more quick one? Yes? No? Going once? Going twice? Doug. Doug. We'll get Doug. Two more?
4: First, I have to apologize for Joe for teasing him about speaking without the mic. Sorry, brother. Love you. So... I know that God is one who draws someone to himself, to salvation. It isn't work of the flesh or anything. It's by him. And there's lots of people in the church that have loved ones, kids, children that don't know the Lord and their hearts are broken for them and they pray for them often and they're just on their knees waiting for the Lord to bring them to salvation. How would you comfort Or encourage that person who is just broken.
0: Yes, (laughs) gentlemen, I'm on. I, uh, I think the first place I'd go is simply to weep with those who weep. Right? The Scripture clearly says for us to weep with those who weep. Resonating with that, even through my own life and understanding that difficulty, I I think it's sometimes not very carefully loving to say to quickly run to the issue of the sovereign hand of God and. God is sovereign over all things, you know, don't worry about it, you know, this is the way it is, so, you know, get over it kind of thing, that's not very loving, although we know that to be true, that God is sovereign in all of these things, and yet at the same time, that doesn't remove the emotion, does it? And so I would I would uh, work to be empathetic in that situation, and the first thing I would do is probably pray with them, pray, say, I know. I get it. It's tough. It's really hard. Plead with God to save them, right? And then maybe from that now I have maybe the ability to sit with them and say, you know, God, we we know God is a good God. The, The Word of God tells us God is a good God. We trust that He's a good God. We know that that even we didn't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve it ourselves because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the same camp. None of us deserved it. And so God is glorified in redemption as much as He's glorified in judgment. And, and so I, I will commit myself to pray along with you for this person. I think most of the time that's just what people want. They just want to know they're not alone in this deal, and that God is good, and they need to be reminded of that even in the midst of the difficult things in life. And that is exactly what God is, right? He is good, uh, and all of us here, I'm sure, even tonight, are thinking when that question's asked, with people we know close to us, family members, friends, children. We all have kids in our our homes, and they don't—they've rejected, turned their back on Christ. Um, somebody asked the question: Is does God send people to hell? Well, hell is the consequence for unbelief. Bottom line, God God said, if you don't believe upon me, you'll die in your sins. Uh, that's that's the consequence. So we we go to hell by choice. Um, so th- that's that's how I would approach that yeah, I would just add when, when
2: someone comes to you with, with those kind of problems is to is they've reached out you you've had that conversation, God has made a divine appointment for that you you have what they need, and they're seeking you is I would stay very close contact with that person you is an open door for continued encouragement, prayer, friendship, love as a Christian brother or sister. And if they're not, you still love them. But um, you know, those are the kind of open doors that you want to uh, you want to cultivate and fertilize with God's word, and encourage them to understand the the, tr- the realities of salvation, how it all works out, uh, and that goes far. I think uh, just being being there for people, being available for people at any time of the day.
0: Well, good. Good questions. I know there's a lot more. We could probably sit here for another hour and a half or two hours. I know when I was candidating here, they did a three-hour question and answer with me. It was probably three times the amount of people in this building at that time. Neil, I didn't see too many sweat beads on your head, so you did okay. <laughs> okay. What do you think, Russ? Give him, the, give him a silent vote yeah, tonight? It's the official now. <laughs> All
3: right.
0: Good job. You want to Close us in a word of prayer, and then Chris will come up and just sing a song. We'll sing. Let's pray.
2: Father, we are grateful for this night. Uh, this day has been such a great day of worship and adoration of you. As we've uh, you've raised up a man to be an elder, a teacher of the church, a shepherd of the flock, to guard the flock from wolves. So We thank you for that. We thank you for tonight and the opportunity to. Uh, speak truth to questions that are on people's minds. Uh, thank you for the, the challenge uh, of, of doing that, the opportunity to hopefully um, exalt your name and build up the church with uh, the truths of your word. So we thank you for the church and how uh, many are thinking through uh, topics and issues of life. They're bringing it to the forefront of, the, of their thinking and even into the church, into a setting like this. And so we pray that tonight was profitable, that you would help us to learn by what we have heard,
1: and that we would uh,
2: go away uh, enriched in our faith, exalting your name, and uh, we ask it in